The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Let us pray. O oh God, an impending famine, and how shall it be with us when it strikes? O oh Father, if love has found us worthy, then let him who is love speak to us now. May we hear his voice. That's enough. That's all we need. His voice. We pray in his name. Amen. The pictures you are about to see are graphic and disturbing. Because the fact of the matter is, while you and I sit here in our climate-controlled comfort of worshiping God, a half a world and a universe away, it is taking place today what has been called the greatest humanitarian crisis on earth. 1.2 million Sudanese. Those would be the inhabitants of a little sub-Saharan hunk of desert called Sudan. Take a look at the screen. There's the map. Sudan. Four times the size of Texas, by the way. 1.2 million of its inhabitants have fled their homes as a result of a bloody government-sponsored attempt at ethnic cleansing. They are now the highest internally displaced population in the world, i.e., they have not fled their homeland, they have simply had to flee their homes. The highest on earth today. In the last 18 months, 50,000 of them have been brutally slaughtered in what is Africa's longest-running civil war. But the even greater tragedy is the voracious killer that stalks their barren land and their bleak refugee camps. The name of that killer is famine. Now, if you can, if you can handle it, stare at the faces you are about to see. By the way, one of our own Andrews University graduates and his wife is in the Sudan. Chris Smoot, Chris and Sherry, I want you to roll the pictures. Chris and Sherry Smoot are in charge of ADRA, the Adventist Development Relief Agency for the Sudan. I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning that because some of you young adults just watching these pictures could be the spark that begins to build as God calls you to shape, reshape your career plans for a humanitarian relief mission for the, less, for, the, for the rest of your profession. So look at these pictures. They are the pictures of human starvation. Do you know that while you and I are sitting here, one of these pictures dies every three seconds. 
Not all in the Sudan, all over the earth. Every three seconds, there is one death because of human starvation. That calculates to 21 deaths a minute. That calculates to 1,291 deaths an hour. That figures out to 31,000 deaths in 24 hours. By some estimates, it's as high as 40,000 human starvation deaths a day. That means you can take our three full dormitories at Andrews University and every hour you will empty them and bury them. Every single hour our dormitories die somewhere in the world. Three of them. Because of starvation. Famine. Famine. Once upon a long ago time, God predicted that there would come a global famine and He wasn't thinking of the Sudan I want you to now read the words I read to you just a moment ago. Open your Bible, please, to that little, tiny, minor prophet named Amos. Find the book of Amos, please. The book of Amos. That would be the Old Testament, by the way. That would be near the end of the Old Testament. I have a hard time finding it, too. So I had to put my ribbon just before getting up here because it's easy to get lost. Look at it. It's Hosea, Joel, Amos. It's the third. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. Find the little book of Amos, a minor prophet with packing a major wallop in this prediction. Amos chapter 8. Go to the end of that little book. Amos chapter 8. Amos chapter 8. Pick it up. I'll be in the New International Version with you. If you didn't bring a Bible, there is a New King James Version sitting right in front of you right now. Pull it out. I'd like you to feel the Word. Experience it today in this Short study that we have. Amos chapter 8, verse 11. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. That's so important. I wish you would get it down, please, on paper. Would you reach into your worship bulletin right now, pull out a new study guide for this brand new pulpit series that you and I will journey together upon Pull out the study guide. Uh, You folks are acquainted with the drill. Our ushers will come through. If three or four of you came with one bulletin, hold your hand up. We want everybody to get this study guide. There's some, uh, there's some, some powerful quotations. Two of them that I wish to share with you. They will be on that study guide. Those of you who are watching on television right now, if you will go to our website, let me put it on the screen for you. www.pmchurch.org. That's our website. You click onto that website. And then you hit our series, Wine and Milk Without Money, Part 1, where it is a brand new beginning. You click onto that, and then you click Study Guide, and it will be there. I don't know how that works. It just happens. And you will have the identical study guide that we are going to share for the next few moments together. That point that we just got in Amos 8.11 is so critical, I want to get it in writing. A global famine is coming. Would you write it in, please? A global famine is coming. Not a famine. What kind of famine is this, Dwight? Oh, come on, we just read it. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine, write it in, a famine of hearing the words, the words of the Lord. All right? Okay. Now, verse 12, men, and we can add women, men and women will stagger from sea to sea and wander from the north to the east. By the way, if you're living in Israel and you need help, those are the only two directions you can go. If you go west, you're in the drink called the Mediterranean. If you go south, you're in the Negev called the desert. If you need help, it's only north or east. We'd say north, south, east, west. They can only go north or east. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not 
Find it. A global famine is coming. Mark it down in your study guide, please. A, this is a divine prediction of a coming global spiritual starvation. We're not dealing with bread and water here. Spiritual starvation. And by the way, like the Sudan, it will be a global famine in a time of war. A few weeks ago, Christianity Today's cover story featured the goateed face of one of the most popular evangelical writers today. His name is John Eldridge. There he is, John Eldridge. I've got uh, four of his books, thanks to a friend just reading his fourth book called Waking the Dead. In Waking the Dead, John Eldridge has written these words. Now, you have it there, but you're going to have to fill in three blanks to make that quotation complete. Let's notice this. This is Eldridge now. The italics are his. This is a world at war. Would you write it in, please? This is a world. This third millennial world is a world at war. We live in a far more dramatic, far more dangerous story than we ever imagined. The reason we love the Chronicles of Narnia, that would be C.S. Lewis, or Star Wars, or The Matrix, or The Lord of the Rings, is that they are telling us something about our lives that we never, ever get on the evening news or from most pulpits. This is our most, write it in, desperate. This is our most desperate hour, writes John Eldridge. Without this burning in our hearts, we lose the meaning of our days. I'm telling you, lock it in as you begin a journey on this campus. You're going to lose why you're here if you don't remember. This is our most desperate hour. You weren't born accidentally. You didn't come on the scene willy-nilly because nobody thought about you. You're here because God called for you. This is our desperate hour. Without this burning in our hearts, we lose the meaning of our days. It all, I like this, it all withers down to fast food and bills and voicemail. And who really cares? Do you see what's happened? Things are not what they seem. This is a world at war. Write it in, please. And like the Sudan, we live in a world at war in the midst of famine. I read it again. Read it with me. Verse 11, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Men and women will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. I never saw it before. Never knew it was there. I've known these two verses, never preached for them, but I've known these two verses. But it wasn't until this last week that I discovered there is also verse 13. Never saw it before. In that day, the lovely young women. I'm telling you, this sounds like a description of Andrews University, doesn't it? The lovely young women. Let all the available single men say amen. Yeah. In that day, the lovely young women and strong young men. Oh, that sounds like Andrews University. Let all the available single young women say amen. Well, fellas, you got some work to do. It's just no question. You haven't impressed. It's too early in the school year to impress them. That's okay. In that day, the lovely young women and strong young men will faint because of thirst. There's a global famine coming and it's going to draw, it's going to suck in even the young. What are you thirsty for? I don't care whether you're young or old or young at heart, it doesn't matter to me. What are you thirsty for? What is it that consumes your life? Could it be that we are slaking our thirst? At, how did Jeremiah put it? He called them broken, what did he say here? Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Are you slaking your thirst there? Broken cisterns. What do you drink from? Let me share some broken cisterns with you that face us in this and as we embark this journey. There's the quest for sexual fulfillment while you are still single. 
But I want to tell you something. You can drink at that cistern until you are blue in the face, but it will never slake your thirst. Let me tell you something, fella. You can sleep with every girl in this town and you will not be satisfied in the end. I received an anonymous letter from one student who has drunk, who drank from this broken cistern. And in that letter is included this sentence. I have yet to meet the person who can tell me that having had sex with a person he or she is not wedded to was an enriching experience. Broken cistern. Brackish water. In that day, the lovely young women and strong young men will faint because of thirst. Drinking from broken cisterns will do that. What are the broken cisterns we drink from? Let me, put an, let me put another one up on the screen. That's called the quest for academic achievement and recognition and accomplishment. A, ver, a very worthy quest. Eloquently described for us, by the way, by our president in our university-wide convocation this very week. But he would be the first to tell you that that quest is not enough to slake your deepest thirst. Why, if it were, you think just logically with me, if it were... Faculties across this nation would be the most well-adjusted and most personally fulfilled of all people, but they are not because they are just like the rest of us. Intellectual heights will not slake your deepest thirst. So what else is there? Well, why don't we try this one? Professional success. What's wrong with that? As rewarding as it is to be at the top of your game, however, professional success cannot it cannot slake. It cannot satisfy your thirst. What's another one? How about political power? You think George W. Bush and John Kerry are the most fulfilled and satisfied people around? Think again. The very fact that they keep grasping for more power is proof enough that political power, too, is a broken cistern that cannot hold water and cannot slake the deepest thirst of the human heart, not even political power. Well, what should we put up? How about financial accumulation? As secure as having all the money you ever dreamed of might feel at the moment. No matter what Donald Trump tells you, even your fired from the Donald gets old after a while. And by the way, all the money in the world certainly doesn't keep you from having a perennial bad hair day. <laughs> all right, Amos chapter 8, verse 13. In that day, the lovely young women... And the strong young men will faint because of thirst. So, ladies and gentlemen, where shall we turn in this impending famine? Where shall we turn if we would leave our broken cisterns behind? Ah, the metaphor of hungering and thirsting is one of the most compelling and powerful metaphors in all of Scripture. And I want to close now with four. Four little evidences of that metaphor. When I share the four, I'll sit down. Number one, you want to hear the passionate call of God? By the way, you need to write some numbers in to make these uh, four complete. Let's look it up. Isaiah chapter 55. I'm going to look these up. Isaiah 55. Would you write in, please, verse 1 and verse 2? So write in verse 1 and verse 2. How do they go? They go like this. God is speaking. Come, all you who are thirsty. See, that's the metaphor. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy any, come buy wine and milk without money. Wait a minute. Time out, God. This is, there's something wrong with this picture. Come and buy without money. God's making an overextended point to get through to us. What does he say? Come buy without money and without cost. That's the point. It won't cost you. 
Oh, don't just because it's free of charge, do not think it's not do not think it is free of cost. It costs terribly. But somebody else has paid the cost. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on that which is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, God says, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Come buy wine and milk. The title of our new journey, wine and milk without money. Come to me. No money. I'll give it to you. Okay, there are four of them. That was number one. Let me give you number two. Would you write it in, please? Number two, Matthew chapter 5, write in verse 6. Write in verse 6. Oh, the great Sermon on the Mount. Let's go to that. If you have a red-letter Bible, bright red, these words. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Say it out loud with me. For they shall be what? They shall be, they shall be filled. Let's personalize that. Would you write it in, please, right there? Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst after righteousness. Write in righteousness. For you, you will be filled. I will be filled. Blessed, 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 blessed. What does it mean to be filled with the righteousness? What does it mean to hunger? Hunger for righteousness. What in the world does that mean? Number three. There are only four of them. Here comes number three. Write it in, please. Psalm 42. Write in verse 1 and verse 2. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Psalm 42. Verse 1 and verse 2. What does it mean? Oh, we sang this a moment ago. That was so beautiful. The song we sang, as a deer pants for the water, came straight out of... It It is a singing of these two verses. Listen to this. Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for You, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? God, ladies and gentlemen, mark it down clearly to hunger and thirst after righteousness means to hunger and thirst after God himself. Did you see the hunger etched on those starving faces in the Sudan? How hungry if God were looking at your face right now, how hungry does your face look to God for him? How hungry am I for God? Ah, there are four of them. Let me give you the fourth. Where, where do I go to hunger and thirst after God? Where do I go? Final text. John, the Gospel of St. John. Oh, you have to read these. You have to write three texts in. John chapter 6. The Gospel of St. John chapter 6. Write in 35. Then write in 51. Then, then write in 53. Three verses. All red letters again. John 6.35. Jesus speaking. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. You hungry? I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. She who believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, 53, and Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth in the Greek. It's amen, amen. And whenever the apostle John uses amen, amen, it's like he has one of those huge roadside red flags. And he's saying, sit up, boy. Something serious is about to be stated. Amen, amen. What is Jesus going to say now? Amen, amen. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. I told you it's a, it's a powerful and compelling metaphor. And it gets very dramatic. Eating flesh and drinking blood? Now, scholars tell us, That's John's way of giving a little Lord's Supper homily. Well, that's no doubt true. 
But there is a much broader application. And the classic on the life of Jesus, Desire of Ages, applies it. And you have it right there in your study guide. Let me read in your hearing. Desire of Ages. To eat the flesh and drink the blood of Christ is to receive Him as a personal Savior, believing that He forgives our sins and that we are complete in Him. It is by beholding His love, by dwelling upon it, by drinking it in, that we are to become partakers of His nature. Oh, listen, what food is to the body, Christ must be to the soul. Do you like to eat? I've been, I've been in so many cultures. There isn't a culture on earth that doesn't relish eating. What food is to the body, Christ must be to the soul. Food cannot benefit us unless we eat it. Unless it becomes a part of our being. Duh! That's the point. So Christ is of no value to us if we do not know Him as a personal Savior. A theoretical knowledge will do us no good. We must feed upon Him, receive Him into the heart so that His life becomes our life. How many times a day do you eat? At the cafeteria. What, two? Twice, three times? You, you know how careful you are about eating. I don't care where you eat. Subway, McDonald's, Pizza Hut. Do you know how careful you are about making sure you eat? You eat and you eat and you eat. How many times a day do you eat spiritually? How many times a day do you eat spiritually? Don't you look at me and say, Hey, listen, Dwight, actually I eat once a week. I go to church. Once a week? You're, you're living off of this? You can't survive with once a week. Impossible. You will become a starvation victim. You'll die right in our midst. How often do you eat? I don't care if you're young or old. It doesn't matter to me. How often do I eat? Four powerful lines from the ancient Scripture that remind us of this compelling metaphor. Why, why, why do you remind us of that, O oh God? Uh, how does it read here? Verse 12. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east searching for the Word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a famine coming. We must not be its victims. This university founded on such noble principles cannot afford to graduate starved and dying young adults. By the way, it goes for the faculty just like it goes for the student. It goes for the preacher just like it goes for the teacher. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they will be filled. Brennan Manning, I'll end with this, Brennan Manning, in that just moving, moving book of his Lion and Lamb, tells about the great Thomas Aquinas. Have you heard of Thomas Aquinas? The great... Medieval theologian, some believe the greatest theologian in the history of Christendom, Thomas Aquinas. Manning tells us that near the end of his life, suddenly he, he, he just quit writing. That voluminous, productive mind, fertile soul, just stopped. And his poor secretary is beside himself. You've got to keep going. And so one day his secretary came protesting to Thomas. And Thomas replied, Brother Reginald, when I was at prayer a few months ago, I experienced something of the reality of Jesus Christ. That day, I lost all appetite for writing. I lost it. Gone. In fact, all I have ever written about Christ seems now to me 
to be like straw. Did you catch that when I experienced the reality of Jesus Christ? I lost all appetite for what had been the pride and joy of my life. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst. Blessed are they who have an appetite for God and His righteousness, for they will be filled. I want to tell you something. Throughout this summer, I've been circling over the the magisterial theme, the righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? I mean, why is it that the ancients so hungered and thirsted after this thing called the righteousness of God? And does it still, does it still work? Does it apply to third millennial survivors like you and me? Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to invite you to pray with me. I'd like to invite you to pray with me that somehow Almighty God might create in your heart and mind a deeper hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. I mean, that's why we didn't start with Romans 1.1 today. We could have. No, what's the point of starting with Romans 1.1? Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, separated for the gospel. What's the point of talking about being separated for the gospel? If we don't, why study righteousness if we're not seeking righteousness first? Why get our little study guys out? Check, check, fill in the blank, check, check, fill in the blank. What's the point of it? If we're not seeking, hungering, and thirsting. So I want to pray with you. I'd like to pray with you right now. I'd like to ask that God would give us a hunger, a deeper hunger and thirst for righteousness. From the third floor to the basement of the ad building and every other building on this campus. And every community home and every life watching right now that God might give to us a deepening hunger and thirst for Him. I'd like to invite you to kneel with me as we pray. By the way, you know, this, this, the, the point of public prayer, you know this, is that it might, it might engage your mind. You know, it, you're not just going to wait for a prayer to get over. I wish with this one that you would somehow translate these feeble words into an expression of your own soul. And in a moment, I'm going to say these words, and I'm going to warn you, this is a little more radical a line, but I feel like I need to pray that God would do whatever it takes to deepen a hunger and thirst for Him in my life. I don't know what it'll take. I just know He's a loving God. I can throw myself, my helpless self, into His strong arms. He'll do it. But ask Him to do whatever it takes. If you will make that your own prayer, God will honor you. Oh Jesus, oh Father, oh Spirit, our hearts cry out like a hungry child. Our hearts cry out. We need, we need all that You are, oh God. We haven't even defined what righteousness is, but if the, no, if the nobility of the human race hungered and thirsted after it, it must be what we too must hunger and thirst after. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Oh, Father, please deepen that hunger in this institution 
this university. You can create a corporate hungering after You. A corporate thirsting after You. Oh, Father, each of us as individuals, we stand as if there were nobody else in the universe before You. We're praying to You right now. Take these feeble words, every heart lifted up to You. God, please, more hunger, a deeper thirst for Your righteousness. And oh, Lord, not with trepidation, but with humility and earnestness, I pray that You would do whatever it takes in my life to deepen that longing for You and Your righteousness. And if others are praying it right now, Father, hear those prayers. Please do it. Take us to a new level we have never been before. A new depth. Surely in the hour of an impending famine, we must feed now. Oh God, give us this day our daily bread. We've prayed that for breakfast and lunch and supper. But now, oh Father, we pray it for our souls. Give us this day our daily bread.